From the Hollywood Gallery of the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories at the Peterson. Welcome into another Car Stories podcast. We are still up in our temporary studio. My name is AJ. And I'm Chris. And today we are joined by uh, automotive designer, fabricator, Jonathan Ward. Howdy. Thank you so much for uh, coming in, Jonathan. I'm a huge fan of yours that I don't think I've, I've hit about. I sort of, I think the first time I ever met you was at Jet Center Yep. Uh, last week, and I walked over and, oh, hey, how's it going? We talked online. Uh, I'm AJ. Nice to meet you. Uh, so that, that was a lot of fun, and we're talking about, we're going to talk about your Helios project, your derelicts, uh, everything you work on, but we thought before we get into all that, we'd go back to your beginning and get caught up. All right. So what, uh, what was your first automotive memory? My first automotive memory was my father, and he always was a bit of a car geek. I think that's certainly where I got it from, or actually from my grandfather before him. He was a like a... Uh, corner lot uh, in the 30s in the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia and he always had odder cars than his local demographic could really deal with. So my dad, I remember, I must have been five, came home with uh, a Citroen Traction Avant and he was thinking about buying it. My wife, my mom thought he was completely out of his mind. So he took me on a test drive and did that typical a traction Avant test drive that everyone likes to show you that at 70 miles an hour if you go half on the gravel road and take your hands off the wheel it stays in a straight line. Oh, wow. And I was quite impressed. Yeah. In fact that car and the Citroen Maserati are two that are still on my short list that I, I've yet to be able to get. Not the TC. No, no, no. I'm, thinking, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Chrysler Maserati. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> Slightly <laughs> different. Come on now, mister. You know me better than that. Slightly <laughs> different. Well, yeah, anyone can make it cool. No, that would be a fun platform. But no, the Citroen Maserati, um, like Stuart Reed at Art Center has one. That, okay. In fact, just last week he told me he's thinking of selling because he's got another big uh, money pit restoration he's getting ready nice. to start. And got my mm, eyes on Maybe that. a new car in your stable? That'd be yummy. Silver with uh, the tan leather, and he has the Euro version with the headlights mm -hmm. that turn with the steering wheel. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So when, when did you start to really get into cars? Well, I think before even finding focus in cars, I've always been driven by design and, and the arts. So um, I grew up in a rural small town in Maryland before moving to New York City. Talk about contrast. but was always uh, into mechanical goodness and design and, and just the way things look and how things work. And then, you know, growing up with a dad who was into classic cars as well. But then, you know, I was in New York City until uh, from the time I was eight until I was 14. So cars weren't really a tangible part of everyday life. But then I moved to California. I got relocated out here right before my 15th birthday. And it's kind of hard not to like Southern Cal, but then uh, when I was talking to some other kids and they mentioned you get your driver's license at 15 and a half, I said, wait a minute. Yeah. You mean like car car driver's license? Like can drive a, like a car car? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I said, I'm never leaving this joint. So that was at the beginning of the end. So I remember I bought at an auction in Woodland Hills an absolute train wreck, horrible condition with lipstick on it 55 ford sedan that was an xg man fed car so it had all bulletproof glass couldn't roll the windows down no ac but oh. i dug it 
So I didn't have a license yet. I talked a friend of mine into bidding for it, and uh, I spent a fair amount of time restoring and tinkering with that car and, and never stopped. Just to get an idea for how much cheaper a police auction car would have been back then. How much was that? I think it was twenty six hundred bucks. Oh, I thought it would have been just you know twenty six. No, because it was yeah. a fifty five, so it was still somewhat of some merit. Desirable. The funny thing is, though, is I, I wanted to sell the car, and there was a local sort of consignment classic dealer in the valley. And when I was like, I don't know, eighteen or nineteen, I got tired of cooking in that bread box. So I went to sell the car, and I knew one of the dealers. He said, "Yeah, you know, bring it down, and you know, we'll figure out what we're going to ask for in the terms are." So I was busy, actually was was working, so I was away, and I came back, and I called the dealership, and they said, oh, no, he doesn't work here anymore. So he stole my car and disappeared. Really? Okay, oh so flash forward 12 years, because yeah. I never moved. I've been in the same house mm -hmm. since uh, 87. I get a call, LAPD, sir, we found your car. And I'm like, what car? My car's in the lines of one, two, three, four. Yeah, I got all my cars. I'm yeah. good. He goes, well, no, no, you're at uh, And he explained the car. You're kidding me. So I went down to a tow lot and for like 280 bucks impound fees, got it back, and the POS started right up and it drove it home. Still was only worth 20 hundred bucks. No, I got rid of it promptly. But uh, what's the, you know, what are the chances Why of that thing coming back? No, I came out in the black. So you, you started at cars more as a hobby than anything. Totally, yeah. It was a side hobby, passion thing for me. And, you know, my work schedule was such that for, for the most part of the year, I would two weeks on and have a week off. So, like, Tony Nancy was, was a big, you know, uh, inspiration to me and a great legend. And to any listeners who don't know who Tony Nancy is, although I expect most of your audience does, Tony did, like, the Brat Pack, Rat Pack, 50s, 60s, coolest dudes cars. He was also a prolific uh, racer. I think Top Fuel mm -hmm. was, was yeah. his. Can I have attention, please? Please really? begin to let up for yeah. the 3 p.m. ball tour in the first floor lobby. Thank and you. if anyone wonders what time we record this, <laughs> they, uh, they now know. Tony Nancy did the interior on... Yeah, let's just back up. Okay, we'll start... So yeah, definitely. As uh, it was, it was decidedly a hobby, and uh, just kind of kept me happy when my job didn't necessarily do so. So my schedule was generally I had two weeks off, and I'm sorry, two weeks of work, and then a week off. And Tony Nancy, um, I've always thought was uh, you know quite the legend. And, and for any listeners that don't know who he is, although I suspect most do. Uh, Tony is kind of um, one of those SoCal greats of custom car building. He was also a prolific racer, I think mostly known for top fuel uh, circuit stuff. But Tony's uh, shop was uh, in the valley right near my house. And through a mutual friend, I was introduced. And I would literally show up at Tony's shop for those weeks off and like sweep the floor or do whatever the hell Tony had for me. And for once in my life, mostly just shut up and listen. And... Uh, Watched all sort of cars. Actually, I can blame that experience for my odd love affair with the wonderfully dysfunctional Aston Martin Lagonda. Because uh -huh. uh, Evil Knievel rolled in one day with his black Lagonda, and that just floored me. I, I got to have that car one day. Horrible just, car, but I like it. I saw that car at, uh, was it Barrett Jackson, I think, a couple years ago? Didn't yes, have that? yes. And fortunately, I found out about that after the auction. Right. Does that seem like the least Evil Knievel thing Evil Knievel could drive? No, I think, uh, you know, if you put evil in uh, AMC Javelin, I would concur. I don't, I don't know. I, at least that's American. 
Uh, right, me, that's a good point. Needs, it's pretty funky for him. He needs to be in a Cadillac and a, yeah, a, a caddy, maybe a judge, a white yeah, man first with, uh, with a stripe with yeah, stars in uh, the yeah. A Mark IV Lincoln Continental. Yeah. There you maybe. go. No, that's it. Yeah. Oh. Have you ever seen that Mark IV that lives here in the valley? I've never seen it at a show. I see the guy driving all the time. It's black on black on black, and I swear it must have a 12-inch chop. I have French seen it, really. channeled and chopped. It and the looks, windshield can't be more than six, seven inches tall, and it nice. looks perfect. It almost looks like the hood goes straight back. Yeah, it's just all a slab of blackness. I have seen know. that, I think, up on Sunset or yeah. driving around. It is so it's cool. pretty bad car. It's one of yeah. those, you pimp, ask pimp. the guy, why would you do that? And he would go, why not? Yeah, uh, you Because you didn't. Just because it doesn't look good. It just looks winkiny and <laughs> yeah. evilly. Uh, what, were you, what were you working on two weeks on? Uh, I was an actor when I was a kid, so I was doing a TV series when I had that sort of schedule. But um, did I uh, had a long career starting in New York uh, doing Broadway and off-Broadway. And uh, uh, then got into doing commercials and animation and then TV. And then California was CBS relocating me out here to do a series called Charles in Charge back in the day. Wow. And I, I had a really good, great experience, long career, and uh, great people, lots of traveling. But creatively, it sucked. And You're just reading lines. Yeah, and you know, even as you get more uh, credits in the industry, so that you know, you know, you have script approval and casting rights, and you can sit sure. in on the dailies and all that, and think you have a bigger part of the creative process, you don't. So, like the projects that I thought really sucked are like still on syndication. The ones that I really poured my whole heart and soul into and thought were great were maybe not right for mass uh, market ab absorption. And then, and then I got a stalker that got really, really bad. So I had to carry concealed for a couple of years. Oh, really? and, yeah, and I wasn't famous at all. I was like teeny bopper. You know, I wouldn't go to the mall on a Saturday, maybe known. You were but a bit of a character actor. Yeah, whatever, all the sitcoms and, and stuff. But, I mean, just a kid actor, so nothing crazy. But um, I, it made me stop and really rethink everything. So between being somewhat disenchanted with... Uh, how fulfilling it was creatively combined with the personal violations I was experiencing before being famous famous just being you know child actor teeny bopper stuff and then looking at friends that were famous and what a dysfunctional horrible life they had so you know what I'm done I don't want to do this and yeah. same with my wife we were uh, as with much of my life not much intelligent forethought or uh, analysis but we were on vacation in South Africa and uh, we weren't married yet, but we were thinking, you know, we knew we, knew we were f together for life and we're looking at our careers. And my wife was in music management and equally disenchanted with her environment. And we decided, you know what, screw this. When we get home, we're going to quit our jobs. So I'd been taking a, a business course at USC just before that trip and had gotten into a debate with the professor and two other students on supply and demand. So my theory was if you can control the supply, then you can create the demand. They said I was wrong. We got into a debate, turned into a bet. I was given six months to drive a trackable market by 30 points. From my travels all over the planet, land cruisers are cherished where it matters the most. So the harsher the terrain, the more remote the locale, the more important life and death your vehicle is. And the U.S., I think, understands the vehicles, but not to that level of understanding. Especially then. Yeah, did. especially then. So it wasn't brain surgery, but I said, well, okay, I'm going to win this stupid bet. I'm going to buy every FJ40 Land Cruiser worth a darn, and I'm going to chipmunk them away. I'm going to dial them in just a little bit. Wasn't thinking restaurant and lunacy I'm into nowadays. 
I'm going to bring them back to the market because it seemed to me at that time vintage utility vehicles weren't getting the respect they deserved. You know, a Mustang, a Vet, a whatever, Benz, all your typical classics, the quality approach was applied. And what, what year was this? This was probably 94. Which you would think you would cre could create a market because was that sort of the time every, at least everyone in the Valley had a Wrangler? I mean, that was sort of a... Yeah, it was SUV. sort of, yeah, kind of part of that SUV craze. But I, I thought on a deeper level, there's plenty of people who appreciate the design, take a look in the recycler, you know, yeah. back in th those days, and our truck trader or whatever, and the quality wasn't there. And they didn't want to get into it, so they just passed and stayed out of the market. So won the bet, went back to collect on the bet. They'd never pay me the bums. Went to South Africa on vacation over a bottle of wine. My wife and I said, you know what? We're still young. Screw it. When we get home. Let's quit. So we quit our jobs. Uh, my friend uh, Grant Woods, Cars with Class, a great classics dealer here in L.A., mm -hmm. wanted to move to Santa Monica. Had this lease. It had all the right permits. I knew him. So I took over his lease. We had a 1,200-square-foot front showroom. Put a note on the door with my cell phone on it and a bunch of my better cruisers. And it took off immediately. We just got lucky. How, like, many, how many trucks did you have to start off with? Oh, well, I'd already been flipping them to prove my point. So in the case of proving that point, um, probably 40 or 50 of them. That's a lot. Yeah, by that's the time a, I opened, a, I only had good. about eight of them probably. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's a good used car showroom of... Oh, yeah, I was pissing my neighbors off in a big way because I live in a serious blue-haired uh, blue neighborhood and... Uh, I'm the youngest by a couple of generations, or at least I was then. It's, it's been a changing of the guard in recent years. But, yeah, they couldn't figure me out because I had all these land cruisers and all sorts of odd mechanical devices all over the place, and they weren't quite sure what and to do. And who were you me. selling the cars to back then? Just people that needed utility and valued the design of them. It was, but was wasn't it local? Some, yeah, totally. They, they were local. going back overseas? Yeah, and I had no dealer's license, so, you know, bring cash, send your... Friends, here's your title, party on, kept it nice and simple for a while. And then when I realized I, I really uh, preferred that uh, as, as a career focus, then I stepped up and got a bond and proper dealer's license and all that fun stuff. So at what point did you kind of start to merge? Because you had TLC. Yeah. And then you created Icon. Mm -hmm. And now it sort of seems like Icon has taken over TLC, or are they still... Two separate entities. When did the, sort of you go from one to the next? Well, Icon. Okay, so TLC to this day is alive and well. It's, it has about a staff of fifteen. It's the same corporation for both companies, but we have individual management and technician staff because they're kind of two different theologies. So TLC is all about sales, service, parts, and restoration for Toyota Land Cruisers of all vintages. As that reputation grew and visibility was gained, we started doing personal restorations for Toyota dealers or Toyota executives. And one thing led to another, and Akio Toyota found out about us right around the time that Toyota was trying to understand what it was about this old vehicle that had such a maniacal global following. They don't understand it. So Japanese culture, you never look on your past or speak of your past successes. Meanwhile, they're looking at Land Rover, marketing heritage, 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 heritage. So capitalistically, Toyota's like, well, we need to be doing that, but we totally don't get how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I guess someone told Akio Toyota about us. His office called us, 
And we didn't even know there was a Mr. Toyota at that point. It was like sure. God calling the church. Yeah. So, you know, can we come visit this shop? We're like, yeah, whatever, we're here, come on down. And he came down and uh, it was a wonderful man. And uh, they ended up asking me to, uh, based on our understanding of the vehicle and its appeal to in modern culture, to build first one and then eventually a series of three vehicles that were sort of the pre-production design study vehicles for what we now know as the FJ Cruiser. So what happened was Toyota took those three, the board votes on them, they picked their favorite. Then that favorite one went to Calti, Toyota's SoCal in-house design uh, team facility, and uh, then they did their thing with it. So. No uh, disrespect to what they did with it, but for me, I really believed in the utilitarian roots and sort of a rector set Lego value of the original, and I felt that was really its 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 special prowess. Yeah. So I went back to Toyota and said, "Gentlemen, I have an idea. I am dying to realize those prototypes as I envision them." Um, and we want, we want to start a new company. We want to call it Icon. And it's always going to be about celebrating designs from the past in transportation in a modern context. So it's never about, oh, look what a crappy job Ford or Toyota or GM or ever did back in the day. Aren't we smart? But it's taking the ethics and the tradition and the quality and why those the essence of those vehicles that makes them relevant and, and in people's heart and soul today, years later but then infusing modern engineering and techniques and better materials and stuff to kind of straddle the best of the new and the best of the old. Because your stuff, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's, it's sort of hard to comprehend or, or explain because you're, it's more than a resto mod or a pro touring car or truck because you can go put much nicer amenities in it and give it better air, you know, but it's... But it wouldn't be a Land Cruiser. It, it wouldn't right. be what the original... It, it's like you guys are building the original car with not com better components, but better materials, better metals, better leathers, better plastics. I mean, it's... No plastics. Well, no plastics. Um, <laughs> Get you know, rid of better, the plastic. But any, it's like surgical steel instead of yeah. aluminum or instead of regular steel you guys are using. So you're you're building the old car, but with nicer, better, higher-end materials. It's because I'm a moron and I built the company around <laughs> my drive as a designer and what I am proud to put out there. And very early on with the company, I mean, it, that first one, I could literally rotate it in my head as like a 3D dimension model before I had any CAD skills or resources, anything. And it just, it ate me inside and I had to build it. I'm that guy. So I built the first one. I went back and added up what it costs, and a bunch of explicatives came out of my mouth. I was, oh my goodness, you know, what are we going to do here? No one's going to pay that for one of these. So what do I do? And I got into this sort of personal debate. Do I use fiberglass instead of 5052H32 aluminum? Do I paint instead of PVD or powder coat? Do I go disc drum instead of world-class disc disc? And it... I was really kind of struggling with that and um, fortunate to have some really key mentors. And in this case, a, a guy named Mickey Drexler is the guy that, like Rubanana, Republic, uh, Old Navy and the Gap into a monster and then bailed and then is rebranded J. Crew. But he's like, to me, a modern, he just is a brand visionary. Mm -hmm. I called Mickey and I said, oh man, what do I do? Here's my debate, here's my conundrum. And he didn't pause for a second. He goes, well, you're an idiot. 
you stick to your druthers. If you build it, they will come. Otherwise, your heart's not going to be in it. You're not going to stay committed. And it's nothing special in, in, in the market. And at that point, they're just cars. Yeah. And then, you know, thank goodness that we've been so well received. I'm honored daily for, I mean, the company is what? I think eight years old about. Um, how many people know what ICON is and what it stands for? It just means the world to me. I mean, that's more important to me than if I had sold a half million units of something mediocre. You know. Well, and you, and you, you know, you've dominated the market in, in Land Cruisers. Everybody knows if you want a really good one. Get yeah, an but that's biting me in the butt now with the old ones with TLC because the values have gotten so extreme with them, like we saw this year. You know, at Pebble Beach. Yeah, yeah, over a hundred grand for. Yeah, for a where I've been now. quietly doing that for like fifteen years. You know, but now you know every pig rotting in a field somewhere is getting lipstick put yeah, on. Yeah, how her. are you finding them now? It's a train wreck because everything's yeah. overvalued and all of the, let's say, the pirates are coming into the market because they see an opportunity. So it's, right. it's, it's more difficult. I mean, we see our, our restoration revenues and customer base exponentially growing, but my ability to hunt, purchase, restore, and resell is you know, greatly hindered these days. Because people are paying too much and buying too little. Right. It's like the Tri-5 Chevys. You guys saw them, you know. Yeah, they're a nifty old car. Then suddenly they became iconic and everyone realized they're cool. And then suddenly at auctions, they're 100, 150, 200 grand. So then within the next 12 to 18 months, here come all the... There's none just sitting All the, the opportunistic trampolines that are slapped together for the auction with lipstick. Right. Then the market overcorrects. Then the aftermarket surges with availability on parts, and eventually the market evens out back again. So exactly. It's that typical uh, sort and, of and spike of you, know, you moved on empires. from just doing the Land Cruisers, as if that wasn't enough work, and you moved on to other... Um, yeah, again, because I'm ilk. stupid, because I just do what I love. So I really kind of felt with TLC after the first 10 years or so that we were kind of... Uh, limiting our, our, ourselves creatively and, and in scale by that narrow definition of what the brand meant. But it's important, so we left it alone. So then Icon, to me, represented a great opportunity to continue geeking out and playing with new platforms and new ideas. And it was also uh, a reaction to a couple factors. I mean, for me, uh, I'm plagued with an incredibly uh, open eye and mind, so I'm always checking out you know, materials and surfaces. And I don't care if it's the surfacing on an elevator or the glass in a skyscraper or a brush stroke in a painting or my wife's new purse or textile. or So I see a lot of opportunity to grab elements from many different industrial arts and then it's, it's my responsibility or my challenge to create design continuity with all those elements in a transportation platform. Um, also the convergence of reverse engineering CAD modeling software, ease of low volume manufacture at high precision, surface coating tech, SLA three dimensional printing, and all this stuff is a for a geek like me. It's just is it's the dot com era of resources of at a time that seems quite odd to me. You're seeing Bertone and many of these classic design houses fall away. I don't understand. I think it's a leadership issue. You're because, also seeing 3D printing. No, yeah. I mean, you're, we can print aluminum parts and stainless. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I look at as these guys are walking away from the tradition of coachwork. 
I'm seeing things become viable today that weren't viable even five years ago because of this yeah. convergence of technology. And the other thing, too, I think there's like a renaissance, thank goodness, uh, on a consumer basis, not just in the States, but I'm seeing it globally, where people have enough stuff. And, you know, if we're talking first world community. So now I think there's a change, there's, there's a shift of priority where people want something with purpose and passion and quality with mm -hmm. story. It's with all my clients, it's all about the story. And I don't, I mean, that can be the story of if we're doing a derelict or a reformer uh, or a one-off of finding the sketch that never got finished in the fifties and realizing it or finding the car in a barn, or even if it's just the story of the way we craft what we do. I, I think we're at a, at a kind of cultural change where people are starting to put so they want more to buy value a conversation piece. Yeah, and something that's you know going to last and isn't just a commodity with a big marketing effort saying here this is luxurious, and if you're Mister Luxury, you need to have it. So I think people are, are reaching beyond that. And don't you think that that maybe, you know, some of this may have come from from the uh, the, the recession happening. A lot of people were in these giant businesses and corporations where everybody was just a number, but you got a pretty good paycheck and you could be there the rest of your life. Suddenly they find themselves without that paycheck and then they become an entrepreneur because they have to. Well, by either by have to or by reality check of now, wait a minute. Maybe this doesn't make sense. You know, I actually are, are even about how they spend their money. You know, on paper, I was worth X dollars and then overnight it's all gone and I never had a tangible asset or experience or yeah. enabling, you know, so then they're like, heck with it, I'm going to spend it. Yeah. Or they go, you know what, I don't want to work for this trading firm. It's heartless, it's soulless, it sucks and I'm rotting inside and I'm going to break out of this cubicle. And I, I've, had, I've met numerous phenomenal craftsmen with almost that exact story. And they start on the weekends. They start staying up late. They start in the garage, and they turn it into a brand. And 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 the the market, you know, is embracing them. Which do you, do you really find cool. it a challenge to find good fabricators to oh, do the work that you do? Very doing? much so. And I think our industry is partially at fault in that regard because the pay scale is just not there. And they're going to be far more financially rewarded traditionally if they're in medical or aerospace fields, where granted those jobs aren't you know growing on trees either. But I mean, we're to the point now of trying to study that and, and reposition that in our industry. So, I mean, we're doing full health benefits, 401ks, incentives, rewards, uh, all sorts of things to try and um, not just court the best uh, of the craftsmen that are in the community, but to work with schools and uh, from LAUSD down to the trade schools to, you know, take the stigma out of, you know, blue collar, you know, everyone. I think it's ridiculous. You know, this country was founded on pioneers, innovators, free thinkers, craftsmen, entrepreneurs, and people making those changes and those risks and reaching out. Yeah. Suddenly we become, or we're actually being told by national leadership to become a nation of consumers, and that'll be just fine, and I don't believe it. So we have to reinvigorate who, that industrial who base. Who is consuming your vehicle? Because the first time I ever saw your car in public, uh, I doubt... I don't expect you to remember this, but I saw, when, what are the four-door? FJ44. Pull up to the valet at Earth Cafe on Melrose. <laughs> and because I, I lived right up the street, I was having breakfast there, and I immediately knew what the car was. For one, because I am a fan of your cars, but for two, it just stood out. You knew that was something expensive and kind of rare for even just being a big SUV. 
Uh, and then the guy who got out of it, I went up and talked to him, thought it was his car. It was, a, I think, an L.A. Times reporter interviewing you. Oh, <laughs> uh, And Funny. you were there. But that's the first and last one I ever saw in L.A. And really? I, I live in West Hollywood. So around here, uh, Bentley and Bugattis and Ferraris, Lamborghinis are pretty dime a dozen. It was for something like that. I, you don't see them around here. So where are they going to? Well, we've delivered just under 100 of the FJs. Um, well, it's more than under, so I think we're at 91 on the road the, thus far on the FJs. Um, out of 91, I think five are in LA, including like Laguna Beach, a little bit south up to say Santa Barbara. So hotspots for us are where people go when they want to forget about their week job and they want to enjoy the locale or their families. And uh, because of my atrocious price point, that means where all of the money is in weekend hotspots. So um, the Outer Banks, Hamptons, Jackson Hole, Aspen, Miami uh, are, are sort of hotbeds. It's not and a lot then, of daily driving. Yeah, no, there's not a lot, but I'd say with the, the production model icons, including the, the Bronco, the BR, the Thriftmaster, and the FJ, it's so probably about 30%, maybe 35 are daily driver. The oh, rest wow. are a couple days a week when they're in the mood. Mm -hmm. And then the rest are just at a very specific location and used only when they're there. And um, you released a design uh, maybe two weeks ago now? The yeah, I didn't release it. Or it, it, it ran it, away from me. It ran away from yeah. you. Uh, needless to say, though, it must be good because it got a lot of attention. Yeah, now that the cat's out of the bag, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And uh, I think if I had planned it, I would have been a nervous wreck and quite trepidatious because it is certainly not like anything anyone's likely to have seen before. It's so a, For anyone who hasn't seen it, one, you can go to carstories.com and read the article. Uh, but two, it's a Art Deco-y... 30-easy, steampunky... Basically, it's... aircraft. It, it's, it's, I like to say, in a lot of my theory, my design challenges I present to myself, and <laughs> so uh, start is like theoretical. So in this case, it was like a revisionist history theoretical in transportation. So... Those are a lot of big words. Yeah, so, well, in simpler terms. So what if uh, Howard Hughes sat down with Gordon Burig and Buckminster Fuller at the cabana at the Beverly Hills Hotel and they drank too many martinis, what would be on that napkin sketch? So like if it, if it weren't, to, to me, like I, I have great respect for all different eras of design, but probably my personal favorite is that sort of deco, streamlined, modern language. And, you know, history being, uh, you know, what it is, uh, the, 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 the depression, greatly limited the the longevity of that design language so did world war ii um, and then also the question of what if transportation in in had taken inspiration from aircraft about a decade before they really did in earnest other than like the voisson brothers uh, what would that have looked like so it, it basically you know the round door rolls here in the collection was certainly on my inspiration board uh, for that car, as was uh, the Hispana Suiza Zena, one of my favorites, the Empirical Bentleys, some of the early Delahaye Talbot Lago, South Dick mm -hmm. work, stuff like that. But it was really just me totally geeking out, and, and I've been jonesing to do 
Uh, I kind of think with ICON we've been cheating thus far because all of our vehicles are already ingrained in public lore right. and culture, so that's nine-tenths of the battle. And what you're using as a base, I thought, was probably the most unique part of this, is you want to go with a Tesla. Yeah, specifically I want to use the new, the upcoming Tesla Model X because and of its all-wheel drive and its I was going to say, why that? Because the car is not even out yet. So. Is it possible? Is it? It's all up to Mr. Musk. I have a great respect for Elon and his pioneering ways. Uh, I know that this has been brought to his attention. We're supposed to have a meeting here in the next month or so, and I don't know if it'll happen or not. I'm totally guessing. You know, it's one of those abstract things that could either be totally not worth his time and a waste of energy and a distraction. Yeah, does he have to let you use the car no, to say it's a Tesla? Not, could you buy no, one? I mean, yeah. I, I can just go buy one when they come out and Depends take it on apart. Depends on how long you're on a wait to get it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I could go buy a Model S today and take it apart and task my electrical engineers and figure out how, to, how the bugger works and repurpose it. But I'd much rather do it with their direct support. Um, but hey, if they poo-poo it or it's not worth their time or who the heck is Icon, then so be it. I'll do it without them. So if a, if a client hears about the car and seeing the sketches and comes to you and says, well, you know, I don't want to wait for that stuff. Can you just put it on a, you know, a, a chassis with a V8 in it? Would yeah, you then do we, that? Sure, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, no, because I, I think that, that the design has legs and I see the opportunity to do multiple iterations of it. And at the end of the day, a bespoke vehicle of that caliber and budget has to, um, has to dovetail with with the funding client's taste and interest. So, um, you know, we can put a CTSV LS9 in it with four wheel independent so or more some chassis. It's more the design than it's the. Yeah, I mean the the the, the Tesla thing is a, is more of a is kind of a personal opinion thing of I think global warming and our car geek community hasn't become as as hot of a topic as it must be in the near future. So mm -hmm. I thought as, as a customizer or a builder or whatever the heck we are these days, um, no one's thinking that yet. So I thought it was kind of a neat advanced play combined with the fact that, you know, in the thirties, that was not so much as a decade or two beyond when electric vehicles dominated American manufacture. And it was just, um, the business ethic, uh, sort of, uh, it was a concerted effort of powerful people in transportation design at that time to derail EV and make sure internal combustion dominated. So part of that sort of revisionist idea was, well, hey, what if electric vehicles had continued to prosper and develop and grow through that era? You know, so that's why the, the Tesla tied in as well. So you brought up the having to work with a customer. How often do you... Are you going, when a customer wants something when you're building it and you just want to go, no, that's not how it should be, but... There, there's, <laughs> there's a couple ways we handle that. In the beginning, when I was worried about the rent constantly and on that treadmill of the same little pile of cash going in and out, like yep. five cycles every month, um, I really didn't have the luxury, so I'd have to either try and massage them away from the chartreuse and pink concept into, you know, perhaps a deep burgundy and maroon or, you know, try and make it work. I did a couple that got exported that were horrendous and I just frankly never took any pictures of them, put them in the airplane and waved bye-bye and didn't have to worry about it. Um, but, you know, in recent years, um, I, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, but 
um, the, the vision I have for the brand and opportunities that I've passed that would have brought us you know, significant revenue have all been in the interest of protecting the ethic and the vision and the sort of ethos of the brand. So to me, it'll be far more important if in 50 years someone sees an icon and they oh, an icon and they know what it stood for and what it was about yeah. than to sell a quarter million dollars in t-shirts every month or to have a reality show and build a car every week. So with that sort of priority cemented in my head, um, we just simply pass on the job. If, if we're not excited, to, I mean, we only work well one way. And I think any architect or car builder, whatever, it only works well one way. And that's if we love to be realizing the project for the client and the client in turn loves that we're doing it for them. So when we smell that, you know, a lot of times these reality shows corrupt the heck out of the customers. And yeah. Yes. I had a guy yelling at me when we're in renderings because I spent three weeks rendering and presenting variations. He's like, then you want how long to build the car? Like 30 days. I want it done in 30 days. You can't do it. Then just don't do it. So, yeah. All right. Well, if here's... if uh, they can do it on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, exactly. They... Exactly. And then I, oh, Jesus. I'm like, have you seen that car like two weeks later? That's another podcast yes. but anyway so uh we've we've kind of learned the art of saying no or no thank you or recommending other shops yeah and what what do you think was the tipping point where you could you felt like you had the luxury to be able to say that to somebody when the backlog got so obtuse that i could barely that i'd be stressed as i'm selling the next custom because I'm thinking and voicing out loud to the client like, you know, there's a number of cars. I, <laughs> I can start on engineering. I can start rendering, but I can't give you hard financial. I can't give you a hard time. Probably right about that time. And then, I mean, we, we actually had an FJ uh, icon, a production model that we built. Client was pretty engaged. Not really what I smelled as a car guy. But he thought they were cool, and who am I? So, you know, to turn down a, a job, so we took it. And the client visited a couple times, he seemed good. Then he came out, he's back east. He came out for the final sort of test drive walk around tour before we shipped it. Went on the test drive with the guy, we come back to the shop, and so what do you think? And he goes, well, yeah, it, it, uh, I think I'll get used to it. It has, it has potential. And then, you know, okay, and then he left the shop, and we really we got to thinking about it. And, you know, my wife's my partner in the business. I said, you know, what do you think, Jamie? That just doesn't seem right to me. And we ended up actually FedExing a guy his, his money back in full. And said, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't really think you get it. I don't think it's the right vehicle for you. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad I did. And, you know, it killed me because it drained my bank account, literally. And, you know, fortunately with the backlog, like two hours later, we, we sold it to someone who has it to this day and loves it dearly. And, and um, yeah, it, it, it took a while. And it was actually my wife who, who got me to transition that because I'm young and dumb and figure oh, I'm not so young anymore, but I, th I think I am. And I can work with anyone. I love people. And I'm like, oh, no, he's not difficult. I can make it work. And uh, that challenge my wife's a bit more of a ball buster, right? you know, so she's yeah. like, mm, no, life's too short and we're here because we love what we're doing. And that turns it into not loving what we're doing. It's so excise it and, and move forward. So how did you get onto the derelicts and then kind of these one off projects you're working on? Because you're working on a lot of stuff that's not 
even SUV based at this point. Yeah, yeah, in fact, the majority. Well, you know, again, I came at root from being a collector and car geek at large. Then I bought a vintage Land Cruiser for myself for surfing, snowboarding, dogs to the park, wanting something different, fell in love with it, learned of their prowess. Then in my travels, started learning more and more. So that just sort of organically grew into TLC, which then grew into Icon. Icon was a reaction to people saying more and more in the TLC market, hey, I love the look, but I don't want drum brakes. I don't want a carburetor, three on the tree. I have no patience for any of that crap. So Icon was a reaction to that. Then as Icon continued to grow, that was a reaction to people saying, hey, what about a Bronco? I always loved a Bronco. Or what about an old Willys? Or what about the old Chevy pickup? And the derelicts were, were the same thing, same with the reformers. The very first derelict was me building something that I thought would be fun for myself, for my kids, going to skate parks, three Labradors, not wanting a forty, fifty thousand $50,000 paint job on a car that I had yeah. to tiptoe around and be a jerk and yell at my kids when they ding it with a skateboard or something stupid. So stumbled into the car, always been a fan for that sort of wabi-sabi patina romance. Loved the car, didn't know what to do. Couple what, years later, kind of oh, uh, sorry, 52 Chrysler Town and Country Station Wagon. Beautiful car, ugly front clip. Kind of just sat in my yard, didn't know what to do. A year later, my radiator shop in the valley, I stopped by to talk to him, and he's got a same year, same color, same patina, rotting DeSoto four door in his part, in his back lot. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that era, Korean War interchange panels bolt on. So I bought the DeSoto, same night, bolted the two together, sat back and took a look and said, oh, yeah, now we're, now we're so I just built it for myself. So Art Morrison has always been a big hero and friend. And uh, we've done probably 120 Art Morrison chassis vehicles so far. I mean, he's just a, a god for engineering and quality. So I reached out to Art, told him my stupid idea. Worked with him, did the SRT8 6.1 Hemi with a five-speed auto and geeked out and put it together. And then it was only after it was done that I went, oh, yeah. I guess this is kind of something we could do at Icon because it's still modern performance, vintage aesthetic. Yeah, and then suddenly it was everywhere. It was on the cover of Hot Rod, and we won a bunch of cool awards and stuff. So then, like, again, no intelligent planning. Oh, yeah, I guess we, okay, let's call them derelicts. So, and then some people didn't get the patinas. So we're like, all right, well, how about a reformer, which is kind of the same idea of a derelict redesigned in, in detail and bits and pieces and then re-engineer the mechanical but then concord perfect condition and what are you what did you have up at jet center now because you had a new yeah this year we brought the, the latest uh derelict uh which is a 1948 buick super convertible that uh we discovered in uh, pennsylvania last on the road in 73 brilliant patina and uh, i think it's called uh, aztec green um we did a bur burgundy leather interior, um, Cadillac, um, basically the Cadillac or Corvette LS9, the CTSV uh, intercom, intercooled, dry sumped, uh, fun, 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 blown LS9. Quick car. Oh yeah, quick car. You could guys drive it up? Yeah, I know we cheated because it wasn't even done, but it got invited to the quail show, which was such an honor, especially for a raunchy, disruptive, yeah. patinaed car in that sea of, Stands out a little bit of billions of dollars in perfection. <laughs> so, uh, no, in fact, it's back of the shop now all torn apart again because we had to rush for the show. But we're going to officially have it done at SEMA, and then it'll compete 
in the Optima uh, Top Car Challenge oh, cool. at the Vegas Speedway, which is good fun. We had to do that last year with a derelict. Because I guess you, because you're always talking about new stuff coming up. So Chris and I were sort of brainstorming. He has an idea for a yeah, I'm, I'm derelict, I'm, and I have well, I, I, reformed. I would probably go the Icon vein, but I wanted to know when you're going to do a Wagoneer. I had a Wagoneer. I grew up driving Wagoneers. I don't have the checkbook to, to wants write the checkbook. He old school Wagoneer, it, new school SRT. Oh, yeah. Good fun. Yeah the, yeah, the ultimate combination. All right. I'm down okay. if I can get you into the earliest Gen Wagoneers with the raked Kaiser front end design. Well, they all have the same front end design behind the grill. I had a 76, and if you pull the grill really, off, so the of, substructure all the way the up same? to 91, if you pull the grill off, behind it is the large headlight hole, the little headlight hole, oh, cool. and the trapezoidal grill shape. So I'd love to do that, but with the 60s versions, uh, yeah, we actually recently had a client send us one of the, what is it, 89, like the, the last the end of the, the Grand Wagoner. Giant, big seats. I got to tell you, though, I was appalled at the construction quality on that. Oh, yeah. oh they're all built that way. So certain <laughs> certain cars... I can't do what I do if the core integrity yeah. in engineering is not there. So we literally, I parked that car, flat concrete, flat dirt shoulder, opened all the doors to take some pictures, tried to close all the doors, oh, and really? could not get the tailgate closed from that much body flex. Yeah, the, the, the body it definitely has some flex in it. Yeah, same with wood-structured cars, like Cadillacs 37 and back, we can't do. Now what about this? Integrity. Now we do Mercedes, 300 TD, mm. but all new diesel and make this just yeah, big all blue extended, tech, yeah, bus extended monster. tank. This thing's going to go 1,100 miles on a tank, you know, cruise all day at 100 miles an hour. That'd be good Something fun. to think about. Yeah, I'd be game for have that. Have you done you any know? of the more modern cars like that or have... You kind of for mechanical content or the body no, no, the shell style. that we use. Have you, have you uh, only Lagonda. Uh, I just haven't found the right Lagonda. Uh, okay. I don't even need a client for that. I'll keep that bugger. That'd be cool. Um, we've done a number of G wagons, like G sixty threes and fifty fives, and it's a little more bling than we like to be. So we don't really advertise them. We did one as a favor for a good friend and client, and he's fairly high visibility. So then the car got a lot of impressions so we've done four or five g's but we just redesign a lot of the trim and then back to your mercedes reformer idea we got a call last year from the the new boss at amg at mercedes and he wanted to do a, a derelict project with us so we were pretty excited and unfortunately it's too big of a company for us to work well with and the whole thing fell apart they they got it, it was a strange deal. But anyway. Well, because but I still have the car. Is that the Adenauer? Yeah. So I've got a 59 cool Adenauer 300D. It's such a beautiful car. The quality of that car. It's just magic. And then i got a bi-turbo AMG motor sitting on the shelf. I'm just hmm. letting it go. Yeah, I think that would be pretty have cool. Have you seen the video when they take the bi-turbo motors, they make them sound like Pagani Zondas <laughs> with the exhaust manifold? And it sounds like an F1 car going down the oh, street. Oh, yummy. Uh, it's cool. Have you ever driven the Pagani? No, my Pagani Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, me I'm neither. still waiting on it. But this, this uh, one-off Aston Martin uh, reformer we're doing with the brand, uh, we're having the body built in Torino. And I, I had the pleasure of visiting uh, Christian and Horatio 
right as they're building their new plant, which is actually really cool because we have a lot in common, minus a couple zeros per unit, but their volume is comparable to ours it's very thus small. far. Yeah. So we, we did a little bit of knowledge transfer of like how they phase their parts and stuff. And that's the other thing that I've really enjoyed in this community, you know, like Rob at Singer, who's, you know, does magical versions of the early Porsches and a couple other builders in the community. You know, we're all, for the most part, friends and, you know, share process and resource together to collectively we'll all succeed better. Yeah. We all, you know, kind of have our own niche and frankly mostly in our demographic it's not a oh gee i'm going to get this so i can't get that if they want both they'll just get both so we're not yeah. like messing with each other but it's 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 been really cool to to see that that community grow since when i first started we were the only idiots doing it kind of especially right. in a four-wheel no, drive it does platform. seem like it's there's less attention on the big fiberglassy customs yeah and there's more attention on if if you have a Porsche, if you have a Ferrari, if you have an Escalade, and you want to get something that's just a little bit more refined, a little bit more... Well, you're seeing usable vehicles yeah. that you don't have to put in a trailer. Wait, that you, that'll, you, will take you anywhere you, you want. You apparently did not go to SEMA last year. <laughs> we met no, but I, I'm talking at your end of the spectrum or, or, or Singer. You know, those types of vehicles, they're, they're high, very high-end cars. But, but it's high-functioning, exactly. Real cars. Yeah, definitely. There's, that's part of that. There's plenty of half-a-million-dollar car builds out there. But for a half-a-million dollars, you get that Singer 911. That's a car you're going to want to drive. And mm -hmm. you could drive every single day. Yeah, definitely. You know, and put 200,000 miles on it. Or if you want to go four-wheeling, you buy the icon those two yeah yeah <laughs> and park and then, them both in your garage and then tow the singer to the track and party on exactly happy. exactly that is a guy i want to hang out with he's a good guy <laughs> he's a great guy that's a good who guy. uses his icon to tow his singer i want to hang out with that guy we need to have him stop by the show he's up in the bay area yeah <laughs> oh he does exist yeah he does exist okay, he was he a, was a real guy he sounds like a really cool guy, like a cool guy. he also uh, has a mig jet like literally the first time I met the guy, flew into Van Nuys Airport, and we've met clients there, flight probably whatever, like I'm like, so do I go to this hangar or that one? He goes, no, 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 just go to the very end of the airstrip, the security guard, and give him my name, and, and I'll be there at uh, you know exact time. So I'm standing there, and I'm like, there's no hangers, no nothing. And this black on black with red skull and crossbones, MIG fighter jet. You know, it comes taxing to the very end of the runway, and the guy just, Pops out. How you doing, man? Walks away from it. You were him at it. his hangar. You were yeah, meeting him like, at his plane. At were the plane. you guys nice. going to talk about how you were going to kill James Bond? <laughs> or... I literally had to just try and be cool and pick my jaw off the ground and act like, yeah, this happens every day and party <laughs> on. It was pretty nice. Normally they're Cessnas. Maybe a Lear. But hey, don't knock the Lear. That's where we found our visors we use in the BR and the FJs because the first 20 or so I delivered, I didn't know visors because I couldn't find any cool visors. So then client's showing off his Learjet and whatever, marble and leather, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go up to the cockpit and I see these really cool visors like polarized Lexan, double anodized black five axis, snurled handle are, you know, the super cool visors. And then we reached out to the company that makes them called Rosen here in California. So we want to do these in cars. And they're like, what? No, we, we, we don't do cars. I'm like, okay. So we went and bought a pair, modified them, 
uh, water jet cut our own, then showed them to them, and then they're like, "Okay, we're in." So they've been partners ever since. Right. And they're and I super think that's cool. Something that's very talked about here, guys, is cars. The, the visors are definitely a, visors they become use. a touch point for people. Yeah. What's well, just those weird little details that yeah. really make the, the detail whole exactly? That's what makes it. So otherwise, Benali, it's not notable. You know, I've been fortunate enough to get up on a few and see them, and the number one thing everyone talks about is, oh, they put their logo in the screw. Yeah. I mean, every little piece has been manufactured and it's thought about. And it's weird because it's an AMG motor, but you would say nothing's nothing's just off the shelf. And even that thing's not off the shelf. Yeah. Everything is built. Everything was thought about. Everything was machined. Everything was designed. And you appreciate it when you look at it. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I find that literally if, if I'm in Pagani's parts room and you blindfold me, and I just go until I bump into whatever bin... And pick up whatever is in that bin, be it a spindle, a control arm, a push rod, a hind, whatever. Take the blindfold off, put that thing on a piece of black marble, light it well, put it under glass. It's a sculpture. Yeah. yeah. Every last piece, high, high, high functionality, but just an unnecessarily brilliant. There's no aesthetic. Chevy Cavalier yeah, light you can, switches. You can geek oh, out. Oh, like on it machine. kills me. You know, you buy a new Ferrari today. It's the same nav unit that's in a Jeep. Yeah. And I'm sorry, that's that ain't cool. No. That that's like okay, you're relying on the badge, not the heritage and process. And then no, I complain to Chris all the time. Fills hot me. rods. You see these beautiful custom hot rods. You get into the interior and you go, yeah. this entire door panel is off a of Buick from 2004. It, it, and it just kills. Yeah, the you lose the theme and the whole idea behind. Right, but then that's a slippery build. slope once you realize the capabilities and resources out there. So now, like. I'm hard-pressed to find a custom AC vent or knob off the shelf somewhere because I've seen behind the curtain at, you know, the Wizard of Oz and, yeah. oh, well, we can just sketch it up and we can print it and we can make her, what if the knurling was like that crown on that such-and-such -such watch or whatever? And yeah. Then it's the slippery, slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. Brain aneurysm at yeah. some point just from overthinking yeah. this Jonathan, thank you so much. Uh, a huge fan of yours. Thank so you. I'm a big fan of the Peterson and what you guys have going on. And I, I've been coming here for inspiration as long as I can remember. So uh, it's an honor to be here. Oh, cool. Well, thanks for being on the show. Sweet.